Well, a number of years ago, uh, back when Chapel Street was called First Baptist Church of Geneva, and this was our only campus, um, and this church was being used as a polling place during an election time. Some of you may remember the story. I've told it several times before. But the whole lobby is set up with uh, voting machines and so forth and people taking people's registration cards and all that. And I was in my office that day, uh, which was right over there, and I uh, had to walk through the lobby at one point. And a gentleman um, who was not part of our church family, just from the community, uh, saw me walking by and said, excuse me, are, are you the pastor here? And I said, uh, yes, sir, I am. And then he kind of nodded over his shoulder toward the sanctuary. We were out in the hallway out there. He nodded and went, so what are you doing in there? I said, excuse me? He said, yeah, what are you doing in there? I, I see cars parked all over the place on Sunday mornings. What are you doing in there? And so I thought that he was complaining because we had a parking problem at the time. Some of you will remember. We were running a shuttle bus down to extended parking, and I thought maybe someone had parked in front of his driveway or something. So I started to apologize. So I'm sorry. He goes, no, no, no. There's no problem. I'm just amazed at how many people are coming out, and at that time our early service was at 8 a.m., are coming out early on Sunday morning to go to church. So what are you doing in there? I was relieved, and so I said, well, we um, do our best to worship God. We are try to love each other, and we do our best to teach his word. And he looked back at me like he was surprised and maybe a little disappointed. I don't know what he was thinking. Uh, maybe he thought we were doing something really weird or odd in here. Maybe we were giving away free timeshares or something. But the truth is, um, people have all kinds of ideas about the church, especially in our culture today. They have all kinds of ideas about what the church is and what the church does. Some assume, for example, that the church is just another nice community organization, kind of like Kiwanis or the Rotary Club, and those are good organizations, but the church is not like that. Some think of the church as a political organization, that we exist to support a certain political agenda. Some think the church is a kind of country club for people who think they're just a little bit better than everybody else. And people have all kinds of ideas what people who go to church are like. I did a little Google search on the computer on the internet this week. Just typed in, what do, what do people think about people who go to church? It's a dangerous question. I found, for example, some think that we are kind and loving and generous. But there are plenty of others who think we are, as a whole, judgmental arrogant, hateful, and joyless. So it's good to remind ourselves who we are and what we are doing in here. Today we begin a four-week series called Pathway to Purpose. We want to answer several questions, like what is the church? What are we about as this church, as Chapel Street Church? What does following Jesus look like individually and together at the corporate level, at the church body level. So that's what we're going to be looking at for about four weeks, uh, both sides of that equation. Let's start with what we call our neighborhood vision. If you go to our website, and you, we talk about this quite often, but I want to be really clear about it. We say our vision is to be a family of neighborhood churches committed to transforming lives and impacting the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as all of you know, uh, we today are one church in four different locations here at South Street, 
out just out west behind the hospital at our Kesslinger campus, down at the edge of Batavia at our Mill Creek campus, and then in North Aurora at our North Aurora campus. And our mission as a church is to be a place where people can experience grace, grow in faith, and make an impact for where you are. In fact, our very name, Chapel Street Church, which we chose about six or seven years ago, uh, carries the meaning of every home, every place where we live in our neighborhoods is to be like a chapel on its street. Because we are here to reach not just uh, those who are already inside the walls, but those who are outside the walls in our neighborhoods. So we're going to start with one of the earliest descriptions of the life of the church and the way the church looked. And for many of you, this will be a very familiar text, but it's where we want to begin today. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So for nearly 2,000 years now, the church has been a community defined by devotion. A shared devotion to a shared message, to a shared life, to shared worship, and to a shared mission. First, devoted to a shared message. Acts 2.42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, the Greek word there translated devoted means to continue steadfastly in something, to persevere in some endeavor. So the early believers were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, this sounds like an obvious question, but who were the apostles? Now, the apostles, the word apostle simply means messenger or sent one and refers to the disciples of Jesus, those 12 and 11 after Judas, uh, who were commissioned by Jesus himself with the gospel to take it into the world. Men like Peter, James, and John, and eventually the special case of the apostle Paul. And what did the apostles teach? Now, this is an interesting question. As we stop to think about it, the apostles didn't have the New Testament that we have. They were actually living the New Testament. And many of them later wrote down things that became the New Testament that we preach from almost every week. What they had was the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, the law and the prophets and the wisdom literature. And they had the teachings of Jesus, who they followed, that they remembered, <coughs> excuse me, and were starting to write down. And they had Jesus himself, crucified, buried, and risen again. So they taught what Jesus taught. They taught who Jesus was, what he had done, and what that meant for them. In short, they taught the gospel. Now, uh, those of you who have heard me through the years know I don't tend to use long quotes in sermons. I think they're a little hard to follow, but I'm going to share a long quote with you right now. The historian named Tom Holland, who is not a believer, at least not yet, uh, in his book called Dominion, 
how the Christian Revolution remade the world, has said this. To be a Christian is to believe that God became man and suffered a death as terrible as any mortal has ever suffered. This is why the cross, that ancient implement of torture, remains what it has always been, the fitting symbol of the Christian Revolution. It is the audacity of it, the audacity of finding in a twisted and defeated corpse the glory of the creator of the universe that serves to explain more surely than anything else the sheer strangeness of Christianity and of the civilization to which it gave birth. Today, the power of this strangeness remains as alive as it has ever been. It is manifest in the great surge of conversions that has swept Africa and Asia over the past century, in the conviction of millions upon millions that the breath of the Spirit like a living fire still blows upon the world. All are heirs to the same revolution, a revolution that has at its molten heart the image of a God dead on a cross. Written by a man who's not yet a believer in Christ. We are, as a people, as a church of Jesus, committed to, devoted to, teaching the gospel of the God on a cross. The gospel of Jesus. The Apostle Peter says it this way, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Secondly, we see in Acts that they were devoted to a shared life. A shared life. I grew up in the church, as most of you know. I gave my heart to Jesus when I was eight years old. I was baptized when I was 12. And for the first 18 years of my life, I could count on one hand the number of times I was not in church on a Sunday. I'm sure of that. I had years of perfect Sunday school attendance. Those little pins you used to get. I think I had one time, I had seven years in a row, never missing a Sunday. Um, but I went to... I, 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 Went to college in 1974, and when I went to college, I uh, stopped going to church. And there were a lot of reasons for that. It was, it was hard to find a good church. It was like the one I grew up in. It was hard to get a ride on Sunday mornings, and I was just kind of lazy, too. Uh, but I hung on to my faith during those years through a small campus prayer cell. I'll tell that story in a couple of weeks. Uh, but I was not a part of a church during those years. So I graduated. I went to Europe to coach and play basketball in, uh, in Switzerland, I was 22 years old, living alone in a foreign country, uh, unsure of the direction of my life. And for the first time in my life, I think, I realized uh, that I needed a church family. It had always just been a given in my life, but I started to realize I was missing something. So I found this small English-speaking Baptist church in Geneva, Switzerland. Uh, the pastor was a British guy. Most of the congregation spoke English, but they were from other parts of the world, South Africa, uh, Australia, uh, can Canada, Great Britain, and I was one of the only Americans in this small congregation. I soon discovered that there was a Scottish couple in the church. I still remember their names, Douglas and Fiona Marr. I think he was a scientist with a, a big lab there in Geneva. And they made it their business, they made it their ministry to invite anyone in that little church family who did not have family living with them to come to their house for Sunday dinner. Anyone, and it was every Sunday. 
So I started to go to the Mars house on Sunday afternoon. They'd have this great home-cooked meal, and I was living by myself at 22 years old, and that was great. Uh, we would sit around this huge table in their, their dining room, 12, 15 of us sometimes, every Sunday afternoon. And then after this long meal, we would take uh, a long walk in the countryside, and they'd come back for, in the Scottish way, tea and biscuits late in the afternoon. Sometimes I wouldn't get home until 9 o'clock that night. But something happened for me during those long Sunday afternoons. I learned something about the church that I think I maybe had always assumed but didn't really know deeply myself. I learned something about myself that I had not fully understood. I learned about community. I learned about fellowship. I learned about the purpose of the church. And I learned something about God's purpose for my life. In looking back, I believe those Sunday afternoons at the Mars table played a role in my experience of a call to ministry that happened during that same year in Switzerland. Acts says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And many of you know this, uh, the word fellowship in English is the translation of the great Greek word koinonia, which carries this fundamental meaning of a shared spiritual community, a shared kind of relationships that could be called the sharing of life, being devoted to one another, sharing life together, which is why even today, centuries later, we here are committed to fellowship, that is through small groups like Rooted or like our life groups that are starting up again this fall, or even like our potluck brunches. We do that because relationships matter. Fellowship matters. They were also devoted to sharing their resources. If you look at verse 44, it says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, we'll talk more about this in a few weeks, but the church has always been marked by what you could call extravagant generosity, both inside the church community and with those who were outside the family of the church, those who were not yet believers. The church was famous. Christians were famous for being generous to those outside of their fellowship. We'll talk much more about generosity later on in the series. Thirdly, we see that these earliest believers were devoted to shared worship. Now, that's obvious, shared worship. Uh, many of you know I traveled a couple of weeks ago to West Africa, to the country of Togo. I was with a discipleship and church planting ministry called the Timothy Initiative, um, which uh, is a ministry planting hundreds and hundreds of churches in Africa, Asia, and the Middle East. Um, I thought you might enjoy seeing what worship in Africa looks like. So take a look. I can show you a lot more. I wish you could see. Uh, worship there is, is loud. They have those mics turned up so loud. It's colorful. I wish you could see the, the clothes. And it's very active and joyful. They do a lot of dancing in their worship there. I didn't put a lot of it on the screen. 
Uh, but they dance during worship, and they especially dance when they give their offering. They, they actually, everyone, uh, they, they start to do kind of a conga line. And their music, they're playing music, and people dance to the front, and they all give their offerings in front of each other while they're dancing. So they're going, and they, they made us do the same thing. They made us get up, and so we're walking through, and we're, we're cl- trying to keep the beat and clap, and, and you have to walk in front of everybody, and you give your offering. So I thought we might start doing that here at South Street. <laughs> It'd be very fun to see some of you dancing. Because worship, Acts 2 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. We get a glimpse here of the shared worship of the very earliest followers of Jesus. The breaking of bread is thought to be a reference to the remembrance of bread and cup. That is the body and blood of Christ's sacrifice, what we call communion or the Lord's Supper. They they were devoted to shared prayer. They prayed with one another and for one another, not just alone in their homes, but together when they were all in worship together. (coughs) Sometimes I think that, uh, I speak for myself, sometimes we can take for granted the blessing and the privilege of prayer. To pray with one another and for one another. That's why we want to make a point of having that be part of what we do here in corporate worship. And the result of all that, that worship and the prayer, was, if you noticed it, a shared awe. Awe. Everyone was filled with awe. That word means wonder, astonishment, overwhelming reverence at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. On that uh, visit to Togo, we made a one-day trip uh, east to a neighboring country called Benin. They're both small countries right next to each other in West Africa. And Benin, which I did not know before going, was the, is the birthplace and center of a centuries-old animistic religion, often called voodoo. It's a very dark practice. It involves the worship of idols and spirits, including snakes. There's a temple to python snakes that we visited right in Benin. They offer blood sacrifices that are made in fear of the curses that the spirits can bring on the people. We visited a small church there in Benin that had just been planted about six months ago. Uh, This is a picture of of that church. It's open air. There are goats walking around outside. It's a thatched uh, roof structure. Uh, And we heard the story of how that church began. The small village, uh, it's very small, had been um, dominated for decades, by idol worship and fear. And over the past year, just this past year, they told us that 11 young children in that small village had died of an illness. They didn't describe what it was. I don't know what it was, but it was mysterious to them, and it was 11 children. So it was a community deep in grief and fear because they believed that it was a cursed place in their village by the demon spirits who hovered around that village. In this photo, you can actually see, show the next one, the tree in the center of that village and that that concrete trough, which is where they offered blood sacrifices to appease the local spirits. And those men sat there on that trough while we were in the church just a few feet away because they are not believers yet and they were protecting that area 
from the believers because they know, they know the believers are not worshiping there anymore. It was a, it was a chilling thing to see. Uh, but a woman who had become the believer in Jesus, who had been trained for two years with the Timothy Initiative, and they have a two-year process of training. It's like going to Bible college. Uh, she felt called to visit this village that she had not been to before. So she walked to this village. She learned when she got there that 11 children had died and that a 12th child was very, very sick. She went to the home where that child lived, and she offered to pray for the child in the name of Jesus. Now, the mother of that child was fearful. She was fearful of the local witch doctor, fearful of the spirits, but her child was very sick, and so she allowed this Christian woman to pray. And the boy recovered. And awe swept through the village, and that's the woman and the little boy who was in worship two Sundays ago when I was there. And over 50 people became followers of Jesus, and that church is six weeks, six months old, and there's about 50 men, women, and children who are worshiping Jesus. They immediately came to faith, believing that Jesus was greater than the voodoo spirits and idols, and the church was born. Now, we heard that story, stories like that, a number of times in Africa. So the natural question you might be asking is, why don't we see those kinds of things here? It's a good question. It could be because in God's wisdom and economy, he sees that we don't need those kinds of things. We have millions of copies of God's Word in our culture. They're easy to find. They aren't in that part of the world. We have churches in every community in our country. We have hospitals everywhere. None of that stuff exists there. Maybe we just don't need them. We have what we need. Or it could be that God does the miraculous around and in our midst. But we've lost something of our ability to see. We've lost something of our capacity for awe in our culture. Because if you think about it, in our culture, everything is awesome. And if everything is awesome, then nothing is really awesome. Maybe we've lost something of our capacity for awe. I'll come back to that later. The fourth thing we see here in Acts is that the early community of believers was devoted to a shared mission. They were devoted to a shared mission. This fall, and some of you know this, uh, Chapel Street Church, formerly First Baptist Church of Geneva, formerly the First Swedish Baptist Church of Geneva, will turn 129 years old this October. The church was born when 10 Swedish immigrants who lived in Geneva thought Batavia was too far to go. That was the only other Swedish Baptist church. And so they launched a church here in Geneva. Ten Swedish immigrants. They, lost, they launched the first Swedish Baptist church of Geneva. They spoke and preached and worshipped in Swedish for about the first 30 years or so. But today, nearly 5,000 men, women, and children call Chapel Street their church family. I, I sometimes wonder if one of those ten Swedes could come and visit us 129 years later, what they would think. I think they would be very disoriented. They would find it hard to believe that what the church looks like now. But then again, I think they would find things that they recognized. I think they would find a common devotion to these very things, and I think they would recognize those things. Verse 46 says, Every day 
they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I noticed two things here. First, they were a joyful community. It says they met with glad and sincere hearts. Who doesn't want to be around glad and sincere people? They met with glad and sincere hearts, and because of their joy, they enjoyed the favor of all the people. <coughs> Excuse me, that's not just the people who are inside the church, that's the favor of all the people, even those who were outside the church. And secondly, I noticed they were a witnessing community. How do we know this? Verse 47 says, The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, we'll talk more about these things in the next few weeks. But I want, what I want us to see as we begin is that from the very beginning, the church of Jesus Christ was a community of people marked by shared devotion. Devotion to the gospel, a shared message. Devotion to fellowship, a shared life. Devotion to worship and prayer. And devotion to their neighbors, to love their neighbors. To the community in which they lived, they had a shared mission. Last fall um, in November, Lorene and I had a chance to uh, lead a, a marriage retreat for pastors and wives in our denomination. There were 40 or 50 uh, pastors and wives uh, couples uh, were in P- St. Petersburg, Florida at a really nice kind of resort hotel. Uh, we had three or four sessions with them. It was really a good, a good weekend. And after the last session, we decided to go uh, out and hang out by the pools. The evening, nice warm evening, the ocean's right out there. So we were finally finished with our responsibilities. We went out to hang out by the pool. And there was a, there was a, a big hot tub out by the pool. And so we sat on the edge of the hot tub just to kind of put our feet in the water and just relax a little bit. There were six or eight or ten people. It was a big hot tub. And I noticed the guy sitting straight across from me on the other side of the hot tub. And I didn't know him. I uh, didn't recognize him. But I noticed he had a big tattoo across his chest. Big script letters that said carpe diem, which I recognized in Latin means seize the day. And so I was curious, and I usually wouldn't do this, but I said, hey, tell me about your tattoo. It was so big. I said, tell me about your tattoo. Well, as we talked, I realized that he wasn't just a guy. He was a pastor, and he and his wife were at the conference we had just led, and I didn't recognize him. Uh, and his name was Danny Flores. And I found out he's the pastor of a Hispanic bilingual church plant in Elgin, just a few miles from where we are right now. I was astonished. How did I not know about this guy? How did I not know his church was right up the road? And we started talking about that. And that conversation was the beginning of a relationship between Chapel Street and his church, which is called R, the letter R Church, which is confusing because we talk about our church and our church. It's, it's confusing. But it's our church. Well, I got back and told Pastor Jeff about Danny. Pastor Jeff and I eventually met with Danny, learned about his church and his vision, and that some 70% of the people who attend his church in Elgin, Spanish speakers, come from right here in the Tri-Cities, which means Danny's church is actually reaching our neighbors, people we can't reach because we don't speak their language. So after lots of prayer and conversation, Danny's church is now launching a Spanish-speaking service right here at Chapel Street at our South Street campus. So we have become the second campus for a church up in Elgin that meets at a school that doesn't even have a building. 
We are now their second campus. They're starting this fall. It's called Capilla, which is Spanish for chapel. Now, Capilla is a joint project between Chapel Street and the letter R Church. We're partnering with Danny, and we're partnering with him by making uh, a young man named J.J. Ataide, one of our pastoral residents, so he can assist Danny full-time. So he, start, he started up just this week uh, as a resident here. He'll be mostly mentored by Danny, but we'll, we'll, we'll help with that as well. You're going to hear more about Capilla in the days ahead. But for now, we want you to hear more about Danny Flores' own story and what God's doing through his life. So watch this video. My name is uh, Daniel, but people call me Danny. Born and raised in Mexico till the age of uh, 17. That's uh, when I uh, made up my mind to come into America. If I can be brutally honest, I mean, I was here illegally. Um, had to work under a different name. I had no worker's permit, but I had to survive. And that's kind of what I did. And a few months after I got here and started working, there was a church in the neighborhood that was doing outreach in the trailer park where I lived. And I remember just being outside, getting high. I was lost. I had been addicted um, to drugs since the age of 13. I remember this church came and they were just going trailer by trailer and they stopped at ours and uh, they asked me how I was doing. Um, I had to pretend I was fine and they noticed that there was something wrong with me. And they said, hey man, listen, uh, we want to invite you to church. I said, yeah, 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 when is it? They said, Sunday. So I went to church that Sunday. And I remember just sitting in the back, and as I'm sitting there, and the pastor's preaching, I felt like nobody was there, and the church was packed, but I just felt like nobody was there, and I felt as if he was talking to me. Um, and I remember just crying in the back, crying. I was lonely, I was afraid, I was stuck, I was in chains, I was in bondage, I was addicted. But I remember that day, like if it was today, just the message of the gospel, right, piercing my heart. At that moment, um, I felt that the Holy Spirit was telling me, right, uh, you're going to be a pastor one day. From the moment I gave my life to the Lord and the pastor started discipling me, and then I started serving in the church, and then um, I had to uh, work in the morning, and then I went to do uh, ESL classes, uh, English as a Second Language classes at night, and then right afterwards, uh, there was a GED class. Here I am learning English and at the same time trying to, you know, be up to speed to the education of the United States because I was in Mexico and I only went to fifth grade. So it was so hard, but um, that was like, I'm sorry, that was like the step to to like be able to um, go into ministry or, or study to be a pastor, right? And I was so passionate, so... It just brings back memories of those times because it was hard. Like being illegal in the country, right? It was tough. I'm so passionate about immigrants. I'm so passionate about serving the Latino community. That's why I'm, I'm so passionate about hurting those who struggle with addictions, those who, you know, are lost and because of where I come from and I I take it as, man, that's the journey that the Lord allowed me to go through to be able to now serve Him and serve His people and to many the least of these, right?
Spanish-speaking people that are in the country that come from other places that are, you know, first-generation Latinos, we definitely feel out of place. We already assume that people don't want us here, right? We assume that. It's not, it, it might not be the case, but we assume that. So sometimes we're even afraid to make eye contact, right? Because it's like, no, I, I, I shouldn't be here. This is not my home. So how can the American church integrate the Latino church into what the Lord is doing, right? There are certain things that are obvious, right? Like utilizing resources and, and being generous above and beyond is, 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 is you know, that's a given. Like I've, I, I think many churches do that. But one thing is uh, the relational part. The gospel is about relationships, so it's, what, it's, it's what's going to make the difference. It's making the effort, right, to maybe you're not going to be the best of friends, but if you can some way, somehow build a friendship, a relationship with someone in your community that doesn't look like you, that might not have your background, your social status, right, and that you can start to build some type of relationship with them, um, it's going to be very impactful. Since the month of uh, April, we started uh, something called Capilla, which is an all-Spanish church in the South Street campus. You guys have this, this thing at, at Chapel Street that uh, says for where you are. For Capilla, we decided to do something that's called Para Todos y Para Donde Estés, for everyone and for where you are. The thing is that um, in our culture, in the Latin American culture, when you come into a country that is not yours, you want to know if you are welcome, right? Because not many people feel welcome. So for us, we wanted them to know that they are welcome. There's a story about a young man who came to the Lord there, right? Lost, just like Danny when he was 17. Lost, hurting, in pain and gave his life to the Lord in one of our family nights that we had, one of our worship nights. And two weeks ago, he got baptized there on outside of the South Street campus. We did it just for him, but we did something very special for him. And um, his family was there, and it was just awesome. His family's restored, he's serving the Lord, he's, he's has been healed, you know? It, it's just amazing to see, right, that we haven't even started. People are already coming to the Lord and already getting baptized and, and being discipled, you know? And that's what Capilla is all about. You know, just reaching the least of these, reaching those who are lost. It doesn't matter where you come from, right? And for us, um, doing it for him was like, man, this is not about the great numbers, but this is about that one soul right, that needs to know Jesus. That same feeling that I had when when I gave my life to the Lord and I was being called into ministry is, 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 is the same feeling and, and the same confirmation and the same calling that I feel now that the Lord is calling us to do Capilla. This was being prepared in Mexico. You know? 13 years old when that kid was lost. Gospel amazing. I hope what you feel right now is something close to awe. That's what I feel.
And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You'll hear more about Capilla in the days ahead. Maybe you can join in some of their celebration services, maybe some of their baptisms. We'll let you know. And in case you're wondering, uh, Danny had said he came into this country at 17 illegally, uh, but he's legal now. <laughs> he became a U.S. citizen, and he's training actually dozens of Hispanic, Spanish-speaking pastors all around the country. And we believe God is doing some special things through our partnership. So will you bow with me in prayer? Lord, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the life-changing, world-changing power of the gospel. Thank you for the gift of the church, for inviting each one of us to belong to your great family. And we ask you to deepen our devotion to your word, to each other, and to what it is you want to do in our community and through this, which is your church. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Receive now the benediction. May we go now in the name of Jesus, who is now and forever the Lord of this, his church. Amen. Have a great Labor Day.